slide if you want to follow along. It's Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, we had a wonderful time. We uh, went out to eat on Thanksgiving Day. Ha <laughs> Didn't have to do any dishes or anything and had plenty of food and and then yesterday, we went to our daughter's uh, over in Holly and had uh, our son and his family come there, and we just had a great time. And I hope you did too, with your family, and just to remind yourself and ourselves to be thankful. Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for your goodness and for your grace, Lord. We thank you that you're an almighty God, Lord, that you humbled yourself and even though you were God, Jesus, you didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing, taking the very form and nature of a servant, and you became obedient, even death on the cross, and therefore God highly exalted you and gave you a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, and we do that today, Lord. We just say, Jesus, you are Lord. You're the Lord of my life. Reign in me, we sang. We pray that that would happen, Lord. And because of that, Lord, we would be more and more like you. We pray for the list that we have in our bulletin, the people that have been hospitalized, the people that have gone through operations, the people that are on hospice right now, God. We thank you for them and pray that you would, more than anything else, Lord, be their healer, but also be their, their presence, Lord, that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they don't have to fear evil because you are with them. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you for your promises, and thank you for this time together we have to look into your name and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, next week we're going to start a series on the names of God and the names that are listed there in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know, a child will be born, a son will be given, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today I want to do kind of an introduction uh, to this series, I don't want to call it What's in a Name. You know, I have a little granddaughter named Ivy. Her name means something to me because she was born the same day the Cubs won the World Series. It's the Ivy on Wrigley Field's walls. Names mean something. And the name of God means something to all the different names of God, especially these that are listed here in Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah. The prince of prophets dipped his pen in golden glory, and he prophesied the coming of the Messiah. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. 
And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne forever and, his, and over his kingdom, establishing it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Some years ago, an American astronaut climbed down a ladder, put his feet on the surface of the moon, and the President of the United States at that time said this, the greatest event in human history is when man put his feet upon the moon. Now, with all due respect to that President, the greatest event in human history was not when man stepped out of the space capsule and walked on the moon, but when Almighty God stepped out of heaven and walked upon this earth. We call it the incarnation. You know, God put on skin. God became a man without ceasing to be God. History's greatest happening was when God came to earth in the form of a baby boy named Jesus. And with all due respect to all the, the learned people of the world who worship at the shrine of their computers in this wonderful technological information age, if you do not understand this event... You do not have the golden key to all history, and you do not have the key to knowledge. I read this one time, how sad to know biology, the study of life, and not know Jesus Christ, the giver of life. How sad to know astronomy, the study of the stars, and to see how the heavens go, and, and to not know Jesus Christ, the bright and morning star, and how to go to heaven. How sad to know geology, and the strata of the rocks and all the geological ages and not to know Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, or be able to say on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. How sad it would be to know botany, the study of flowers, and not to know Jesus, that sweet rose of Sharon who can perfume any life, and how sad it would be for a person to claim to be educated, to know history from beginning to end and to miss the central event in history, which is the story of Jesus, his story, history. I want to say that a wise man is ignorant, a rich man is poor, a strong man is weak until he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, until he knows what Isaiah spoke about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so today I want to share three characteristics of Christ in hopes that history's greatest happening might actually happen to you. That you would invite Jesus to dwell in your heart and to rule and reign there like we just sang about through faith. And maybe that'll happen to you today. First of all, I want you to see his supernatural nature. I mean, do you see it in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, that's not just a repeat of the same thought. There are two thoughts there. Unto us a child is born. And I think that speaks of the humanity of Jesus. Unto us a son is given. That speaks of the deity of Jesus. Heaven's son given to earth. And there you have the supernatural nature. Now, when God sent his Christmas gift to earth, it was the gift of himself. It was deity wrapped in humanity. 
And that was the first Christmas gift. Deity, God of very God, a son given, wrapped in humanity, a child born. Now listen, Jesus Christ did not have his beginning in Bethlehem. You turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, and you'll be able to see the majesty of his deity. A son is given. John 1, verse 1. The apostle John writes, in the beginning was the word. Underscore that. In the beginning was the word. The word is the Greek word logos. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. And the logos, the word, was with God and the word was God. Now, wait a minute. Was he with God or was he, or was he God? The answer is yes. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Before history was, simply called the beginning, he was with God. Through him all things were made. By whom? By the word, by the logos. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Everything you see has this stamp on it. Made by the word. Made by the logos. Made by Jesus. Now, what does John mean when he says, in the beginning was the word? Well, the word is kind of an expression of thought, right? The expression of an idea. And Jesus Christ is called the word of God because he is the, he's the expression of God. Jesus Christ articulates God, and therefore he's called the word of God. He's the expression of God. As my words are an expression of my ideas and thoughts and concepts, Jesus Christ Coming in the flesh is the word who articulates God. Now learn this about Jesus. I mean, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Jesus Christ is God. A lot of people don't believe that. Jesus Christ is God. He is fully God. The Apostle John is now writing as an older man. I mean, he has 50 or 60 years to think it over. He's totally against blasphemy. And yet the Apostle John writes down, the word was God. Everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything that God does, Jesus does. The word was with God and the word was God. The word, Jesus, was the one who spoke that world into existence. I mean, look at verse 3 of John chapter 1. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Let me give you a, a few more verses of scripture that shows, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is God of very God. And Calvary, that is the cornerstone of Orthodox Christianity. Jesus Christ is God. And people are, are going away from this, this basic truth of Christianity. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, About the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever. The Son is God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says we are looking forward, we are, we are to be looking for Jesus to come again, and it says here in Titus, while we wait for the blessed appearing, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Savior is the great God who is coming again. When Thomas saw him after the resurrection, before his ascension, and realized who Jesus was, John chapter 20, verse 28, says that Thomas, he fell down before me. He said what? My Lord and my God. Now when the apostle John says in the beginning was the word, he's not talking about a start. He's talking about a state. That is, he has always been God. 
He always will be God. A billion years from now, the word will be God. When Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, that was not a start. When he was born, he was as old as his father and he was older than his mother. There was never a time when Jesus was not. The Bible says that he was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's the imperfect tense. It means it's just a continuous state. Jesus did not begin in a manger. He did not begin with Mary. He has his existence in eternity. And so that's what I call the majesty of his deity, a son given. But I also want you to see what we call uh, the mystery of his humanity. A child is born. Back to Isaiah 9, verse 6. A son is given. That's his deity. A child is born. That's his humanity. You see, the word was translated into a language that we could understand. I mean, have you ever been to a foreign country and heard people speaking in languages that you couldn't understand? And so God translated himself into a word that we could understand, and the name of that word is Jesus. Jesus. And so God took deity and translated deity into humanity. Somebody said this. And I quote, the great mystery of the manger is that God would be able to translate deity into humanity without either discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. I mean, isn't that a beautiful statement? And so that little baby laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is the great God who created the universe. That little baby in Luke chapter 2 is the great God of Genesis chapter 1. And the little toddler growing up in Joseph's carpenter shop is the eternal God who created the world. God became flesh. You say, well, I don't understand that. None of us understand that. (laughs) 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, beyond all question, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He appeared in a body. No argument about that. I mean, we're talking about a great Mystery here, and this is what God has done. You see, the miracle of the ages is the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us about his coming, but Isaiah 7, 14 talks about his conception. I mean, do you remember that? Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son. Well, you say, how can a virgin conceive? It's an impossibility. That's exactly what Mary said when the angel came to her. She said, how can this be? Mary said to the angel, right? And the angel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, with God, nothing is impossible. Now, if you have difficulty believing in the virgin birth, what you're really saying is, I really have difficulty believing in God. Why do you have difficulty believing that God could cause a woman to conceive in her womb a child and still be a virgin? Why do you have difficulty believing that a man, child, could come into this world without an earthly father when God made the first woman and the first man out of nothing? Out of nothing. I mean, why do you have difficulty believing that? Listen, if you can believe Genesis 1, you won't have any trouble believing in miracles. In the beginning, what? God created. 
the heavens and the earth. And when you believe that, then nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. But a virgin birth is biologically impossible. If you doubt the virgin birth, you are taking the cornerstone out of our faith. You might as well throw that book away. I'm telling you that the greatest event in human history was when God, through the portals of a virgin's womb, came into this world. And if you doubt the virgin birth, the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus, let me tell you the difficulty that you have. First of all, you have a difficulty with the character of the word of God. Because the word of God plainly teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. But not only do you have problems with the character of the word, you have problems with the character of Mary. Because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, Mary was a harlot and she conceived out of wedlock. But then not only will you have difficulty with the character of the word and the character of Mary, you're going to have difficulty with the character of Jesus because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then Jesus was a descendant of Adam just like you are, just like I am, and in Adam all die. And that means Jesus was a sinner by nature and a sinner by practice if he was not born of a virgin. But I'll tell you, not only do you have difficulty with the character of the word and the character of Mary and the character of Jesus, you don't believe in the virgin birth, I got a difficulty with your character. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of God given about his son. And there is no hope apart from the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Dave, I mean, why do you make such a big deal about this? Why do you contend for the virgin birth? Because Calvary, the deity of Christ, is wrapped up in the virgin birth. A child is born. A son is given. You see, Jesus came as he did, virgin born, to be what he was, sinless. And he was what he was, sinless, to do what he did. And that's die for our sins as a sinless substitute. And he did what he did that we might be what we are, sons and daughters of God by faith in what he did upon the cross. Listen, it's like this. No virgin birth then there's no sinless Christ. No sinless Christ, there's no atonement. No atonement, there's no forgiveness. No forgiveness, there's no hope of heaven. No hope of heaven, and you die and you go to hell. Thank God for the virgin birth. You take away the virgin birth and the whole house of Christianity collapses like a house of cards. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His supernatural nature. That's the first characteristic of Christ that I see in this passage. The second characteristic of Christ that I see is his sovereign nobility. Think about that. Not only his supernatural nature, but his sovereign nobility. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He's a noble. He's he's the ruler. He's the sovereign. He came not only to redeem but to reign. He was born a king, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, it's going to happen. This is his sovereign nobility. Now, he came the first time to redeem us, but he's coming the second time to reign and to rule over us. And his second coming is just as certain as his first coming. He came the first time according to prophecy. He's coming again according to prophecy. He came the first time in the fullness of time. He's coming the second time in the fullness of time. When he came the first time, right, he stood before Pilate. When he comes again, Pilate will stand before him. He came the first time as Mary's little lamb. He's coming a second time as the Lion of Judah, as a mighty monarch, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And the only thing we can do is, is to recognize his lordship and to bow before his lordship. You see, the cradle and the cross and the crown are inseparable. We don't just worship a baby in the cradle, but we bow before him and we crown him Lord of lords and king of kings, because the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, here's the third characteristic I want you to notice. Not only his supernatural nature, not only his sovereign nobility, but I want you to notice his saving name. Look again at verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, his name will be called Wonderful. What's so wonderful about his name? Well, what is his name? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He was named by God the Father. The angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby, and this is his wonderful name. Are you ready for that name? The angel said, you shall, you shall call his name what? Tell me. Jesus is always the right answer in church, you guys. Come on. Jesus! <laughs> You know, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, Mary didn't think of that name. That name was given to Mary. And what does the name Jesus mean? This wonderful name. It's a saving name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It's a compound name and it literally means, are you ready for this? It means Jehovah saves. That's what the name Jesus means. It means Jehovah saves. And Jehovah is the most sacred name for God that the Old Testament Jews knew. And it means the great I am. And God is saying, never was a time when I was not. Never will be a time when I will not be. Not I was, not I shall be, but I am. That's the name Jehovah. Jehovah, the great I am. And now Jesus takes that name, I am. You know, I am, Jehovah saves. Jesus said to his critics in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And it was then that they took up stones to stone him. They didn't like him calling himself the great I am, the Jehovah who saves. Listen, Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is Jehovah. 
Isn't that wonderful? That's why the prophet Isaiah said his name would be called Wonderful. What wonder, you know, that this baby would be called Jesus. You know, Jehovah saves. In his birth, he was wonderful. In his life, he was wonderful. In in his works, he's wonderful. In his words, he was wonderful. In his death, he was wonderful. In his resurrection, he is wonderful. In his ascension, he's wonderful. In his intercession, he is wonderful. And when he comes again, wonder of wonders, he is coming again. And his, in his church, the resurrected Jesus, through the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, is still doing signs and wonders. God is still writing the book of Acts. And so, first of all, his name is wonderful, and there's wonder in that name, but also his name is Counselor. And not only is there wonder in that name, and we're going to go through all these names in detail in the coming weeks. But not only is there wonder in that name, there's wisdom in that name. You see, he is the counselor. He's the one who gives you wisdom. I mean, how are we supposed to live? I mean, how, how are you supposed to learn? What are you supposed to do? It's all wrapped up in Jesus. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Colossians chapter two and verse three, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. It's all in Jesus. There's wonder in that name. There's wisdom in that name. Oh, we say we don't need the Lord. Oh, don't we? Well, you tell me. That what 6,000 years of human history have brought about with man's wisdom. I mean, we've got AIDS and weird diseases. We're passing out condoms to our young people. There's always threats to like a super virus. Wars, rumors of wars, prejudice, there's shootings in schools and churches, and we don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. You live according to this book. Live according to this book. Listen, when you reject the wisdom of God, you become a foolish people. You see, there is wonder in this name. There's wisdom in this name. But this child, this son, is also called the mighty God. (laughs) Isn't that something? Call your kid a mighty God? I mean, he's got to be God. There is wealth in this name. He's mighty God. It all belongs to him. Jesus is the one who made it all as the mighty God who created everything. And billions of sons came from his hands. And the oceans just dripped from his fingers. Think of the vast universe. I was reading some time ago that if you were to take the molecules in just one drop of water and change every molecule into a grain of sand, you can make a highway one half mile wide and one foot thick from New York to San Francisco. Just the molecules in one drop of water if they became grains of sand. How infinitely small and yet how magnificently wide is God's mighty universe and it all came from the hand of Jesus. He is the mighty God. And I'm telling you, there's wonder in that name and wisdom in that name. There's wealth in that name. And there's also worship in that name. He's the everlasting Father. He's the one who can say, I and my Father are one. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Suppose you say to me, Dave, I'd like to see the President of the United States. Can you show me? Can you show him to me? And what if I just said, well, you're looking at him. You'd want to go get the butterfly net and call 
the guys with the white coats, right? Huh? They're coming to take me away. Ha ha. Hee hee. To the funny farm. The claims of Christ are amazing. They said, show us the Father. He said, Philip, have I been with you this long and you have not known me? This little baby is the everlasting father, and because of that, we worship him. Now listen to me. If Jesus Christ is not God, you have no business worshiping him at all. Because that is idolatry. If you worship more than one God, I am the Lord thy God. You shall have no other gods before me. There is wonder in that name, wisdom in that name, wealth in that name. There's worship in that name. And oh, he's the Prince of Peace. There's a welcome in that name. He's saying, come to me all that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. You say, there's no peace on earth. Not yet. But there will be. There will be when Jesus Christ comes again. I heard of a man who died and his widow brought bought a a beautiful tombstone for him and she put these words on the stone, rest in peace. And then she read the will and found out that he didn't leave her anything and she went back and had these words added, till I come. Rest in peace till I come. Folks, this world will know no peace until he comes. There will be no peace But when he comes, he will bring peace. And that's why we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6. We rejected the prince of peace. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. We rejected the prince of peace, and that's the reason there will be no peace until there's peace in Jerusalem. And there will be no peace in Jerusalem until Jerusalem crowns her king. And the Lord Jesus Christ... And they say together with one voice, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But listen, there can be personal peace right now. There can be peace with God right now. Peace like a river, Isaiah called it. A river comes from a higher source. It's it's beautiful. It overflows. It just keeps on coming. I've got peace like a river. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a welcome in that wonderful name. He is the Prince of Peace. Do you have peace with God? I'm speaking to some today. You know, you're wondering, what is all this about? Let me just sum it up. Listen, let me just tell you what what Christmas is all about before we even get into Advent. It is this, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That is his supernatural nature. God came to this earth to live and to breathe and to work and to laugh and to cry and to weep and to teach and then to carry our sins to the cross and die. His supernatural nature. Only a sinless Savior could die for the sins of the world. His sovereign nobility, he's the Lord. 
He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And his saving name, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You say, Pastor Dave, would Jesus save me? He will if you trust him. If you'll just trust him, if you'll say, come on into my heart, forgive my sin, and save me, Lord Jesus, I promise you on the authority of the word of God, if you will trust him, if you will repent of your sin and trust Christ, he will save you. And history's greatest happening is Jesus. Has anything happened to you? Let's pray together. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me ask you a question right here. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many in this building could say, Pastor Mata, if I died right now, I have the full assurance that I would go straight to heaven because I know that I've trusted Christ as Savior and I seek to follow him as Lord. I've openly confessed him before um, people. I'm living for him in the fellowship of a church. And God's spirit agrees with my spirit that I am a child of God. If you have that kind of a testimony, just put your hand up real quick and then put it down. That's awesome. Lots of folks. The reason I did that was to cause us to think. Because I don't think everybody has that kind of a testimony in their hearts. Some have not trusted Christ. Some have trusted him, but maybe you've not made it public. Kind of like a secret agent Christian. Others are perhaps out of fellowship. You're, you're not in, in the fellowship of a church. For real, you might come, but you're not really in fellowship. And others just have real serious doubts as to whether they have ever really trusted Christ. But deep inside, you want to know that you are saved. And I think right now, November 25th, 2018, right, right now, you could get that settled in your heart. Maybe for those of you who couldn't really lift your hand up with assurance, you might want to pray something like this. Dear God, I need to be saved. I want to be saved. God, I'm so sorry that I've broken your perfect law, those commandments. I have not loved you with all my heart, and I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. Jesus, you have not been first in my life, but I thank you, God, that you have a plan of salvation from the beginning of time, that you would send your own son, born of a virgin, to live a life that I can't live and die a death that I cannot die. And I believe, Jesus, that you are who you claim to be because you rose from the dead. And I believe that you are standing at my heart's door through the Holy Spirit, seeking an entrance, wanting to give life to my dead spirit and to whisper in my ear, you are a child of God, you are a child of God. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right 
become children of God. Lord, I thank you for the name that's above every name. I thank you for your beautiful name, Jesus, that you love us uh, more than we can even imagine. Lord, I pray that you would reveal this awesome love to every person in this sanctuary at some point during this Advent series, that we would, and, and so, some point during this Advent season, Lord, that we would just have that revelation again of who you are and what you've done for us and how much you care about us and how you want to rule and reign in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that we would have encounters with you this Advent season and that we would realize that uh, there's only one name by which we must be saved, and that is the name Jesus. And, Lord, we bring our ties today to Jesus We bring our offerings today to Jesus and we lay them at his feet. And we say, may your kingdom be extended through the ministry of the word, through this church we call Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. One little quote I wanna use uh, for the Benediction, but at Bethlehem, he became God with us. At Calvary, he became God for us. And at Pentecost, he became God in us. Let's leave here realizing that if we're Christians, we are carriers of the Holy Spirit. We're carriers of God. Where we go, he goes, right? Amen.